Welcome to this Financial Advisor podcast. My name is Raik van Ikerk. In this series of podcasts, I speak to South Africa's leading financial advisors. And my guest today is John Harmon. He is from the Rosebank Wealth Group. John, welcome to the show. We live in interesting times. Uh, have your phone been ringing off the hook from clients uh, asking what they should do with their money? Uh, thanks, Raik. Uh, thankfully not. I think most of our clients um, were ringing in December when Nenigate happened. This almost seems like a repeat of some sort. So um, I think our clients are relatively well trained, we like to think. Um, we, we have a long-term plan in mind. And short-term noise like this is something we try to avoid, even though it's quite difficult at the moment. But short-term noise is this an interesting thing. Um, you know, people can get very nervous when it comes to their money. You know, obviously it's a big... A very important for an advisor to communicate with a client. How do you communicate and, uh, you know, do you try to be positive? Um, yeah, I think you have to, we as a firm are probably quite optimistic about South Africa. I think, um, you know, we don't have to do too many things to, to improve this country immeasurably. So it's easier said than done, obviously. But I think, I mean, many of our, many of our clients, one or two panicked, I suppose, in, in December, which is a very natural reaction. Looking back at it now, you can see... You know, it was a storm and a key teacup almost. But mm. I think it's it's very important to to have a long-term goal, to meet with your clients regularly, two or three times a year at least face-to-face. Um, if something happens, as is, as we're seeing now with Treasury and, and, and government, just send out a communication, pick up the phone to some clients that you know might be thinking about taking money offshore or doing something like that, and just reassure them if, if you can. I mean, no one knows what's going to happen, but you know, generally looking back in hindsight, these are the worst times to make decisions. But do you try to be more conservative in your advice? So are you advising clients to maybe move uh, you know, money to cash and bonds? Um, our advice generally is conservative, I would say. Our investment philosophy is, first and foremost, don't lose money. Um, generally, our clients are lucky enough to have already made their money, and our goal is to preserve capital, make sure that they earn some sort of decent inflation being return. We're not trying to shoot the lights out. So generally, our portfolios are quite conservative positioned already. So, I mean, these things obviously rock the boats, but um, we, we're not out there swinging for the fences. So we, we generally have all sorts of investments, cash alternatives that can make money on the downside, things like that um, in place for times exactly like this. But you focus predominantly on high net worth individuals, um, you know, not a person like myself who earns a salary. Uh, and I, you know, put away my 15% in an RA. Um, does the investment approach need to be different for a normal salaried individual as opposed to a high net worth individual? Um, I, would, I wouldn't say materially different. Obviously, um, for your average man in the street, they're, they're looking to make a decent return over time so that one day when they get to retirement, they have something to support them. Whereas a high net worth individual, their goals might be slightly longer in nature. They... Um, Generally, they have more than enough money to live on. Their goal is to preserve capital, make sure there's some sort of legacy for for their children, for their spouse. Um, so it's it's slightly different, but I, I would say it's uh, not materially different for the average man in the street and those fortunate that have more money than, than they actually need. The Rosebank Wealth Group, um, it's a small uh, player. Um, I don't think it's that well known. Um, and uh, it's a family-owned uh, advisory firm. Is there still space in the market to compete against the big guys uh, in the advice business? 
I think so. Um, there's obviously some some much bigger names than us. Um, the big banks obviously are always well known, but some clients prefer a smaller personal touch. Um, we only have around 80 to 90 clients, so we know them particularly well. Some of our clients have been with us for 25 years, so it's a it's a small niche boutique kind of firm, and I think there's there's always going to be some some sort of role for a firm like that. What, what do you do differently as opposed to a firm like Citadel? I think we focus slightly more on the individual. There's um, there's longevity in our in our staff. Most of our staff have been been with us for five, six, seven years at least. So you're not constantly getting a new private banker or a new a new person dealing with you. But uh, it basically comes down to relationships. I think um, a su- successful firm like Citadel or a firm like ours, some clients are going to prefer dealing with you as a person than than others. You, um, you know, I've spoken to a lot of uh, financial advisors, and and you have really uh, did the theory quite well. You're obviously a, a CFP, but you also did several other, you know, commerce-related and finance-related degrees. Do you think, um, you know, a theoretical financial education is the biggest differentiating factor when it comes to advice as opposed to people that only have a CFP and, and not the, say, a BCom or a master's degree in finance? Not necessarily. I think it helps. Um, most people that, that have gotten a CFP via other means have 20 years experience. So, I mean, you can't buy that. But, uh, I mean, you, in, my, in my mind, you can never have enough education, particularly if it's, if it's something that you're going to be relying on on a day-to-day basis you know, you, you're constantly learning. No one knows everything. Um, even with the CFP, you're doing continuous um, development points. Uh, you need to do a certain amount every year. So you're constantly learning. Laws change. Things change. So it's it's never a bad thing. Um, just because you don't have it isn't necessarily a bad thing either. But I think in an industry that needs to professionalize more, which financial services and financial planning in particular has to, um, a CFP is almost the starting point for for, for someone entering the industry, I would say. Elaborate a bit on, on that, um, the professionalizing of the industry. Uh, what is your um, views? What are your views there? I think the industry, rightly or wrongly, has a tainted reputation historically. The, your average financial advisor or planner was more a salesman than a planner. And I think there's new legislation coming down the line, RDR and things like that, which will help the industry. But really, the, the professionals in the industry need to up their game and it's not just about selling products it's about providing real decent financial advice you know you know one of the most frequent phone calls we get here at MoneyWeb is somebody phoning in where can i find a good financial advisor now um we've got uh, you know many listed uh, advisors on the website but uh, you know it's the good you know, uh, word in that sentence sure. that seems to be the problem. What do you think, you know, embodies a good financial advisor? Well, I, I suppose it's a very subjective word, but I would say the place to start would be the FBI, the financial planning website. Um, they have a list of, of all the accredited members, most of whom have a up-to-date CFP. That's probably a good place to start. Um, the MoneyWeb uh, Click and Advisor uh, feature on your website is probably also a decent place to look. And then I think it's important, you know, many people, lawyers and doctors, they get referrals from people they trust. And I think that's an important important point in this industry as well. Yeah, word of mouth is, uh, you know, any business, I think that is the yeah. key. Um, the new regulations that will come in, it will change the fee structures uh, for many advisors. How will that impact you? Um, I don't think materially at all. 
Um, all our fees are disclosed to our clients up front and at every single meeting we, we have, we, they, they know exactly what we're earning. We earn an advice fee only. Um, it's structured in a, a couple of ways. Generally, it's either an assets under management fee or it's a monthly retainer. So clients are very aware of what they're paying us. But I think, much like a lawyer, um, people are happy to pay for advice that they feel is improving their life. What is your uh, you know, percentage fee um, and your uh, retainer fee? Um, it varies on a client-by-client -client basis. Um, at the at highest it goes is 0.75% a year, and it obviously decreases as... Um, on a client-by-client -client basis. Yeah, 0.75%. That's actually quite low in comparison to some other asset managers and, and advisors. Sometimes you, you get, you know, prospective clients who do more research in the in the costs of an advisor than actually the historical performance. Um, is, is fees a, a big a discussion point when you engage clients? Um, I think so, particularly with new, with new clients, and rightly so. Anyone that doesn't know what they've been charged is probably being charged too much. Um, so it's... It is an important point, but it's not the, it's not the only point as well. And I would, we, we would like to think no one is going to make excess returns year in, year out. And I, I for one, don't think that a financial advisor's role is, is to make excessive returns. It's, it's planning, it's structuring, it's minimizing tax wherever possible. It's um, holding clients' hands sometimes through, through traumatic experiences, through, um, through a death, through a divorce. It's, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think you get what you pay for. You're a totally independent advisory group. Um, and that's, you know, the big, uh, you know, advantage there of is you can actually cherry pick the funds you want to invest in. Correct. Um, uh, what fund managers do you like and in, in, into whose f um, investment philosophies do you buy into? Um, like I said earlier, we believe in preserving money. So we've, we've used a lot of alternatives in the past, particularly hedge funds. So we're very excited that... Uh, hedge funds are finally being regulated in this country. So we've used a lot of the hedge fund managers in our client portfolios. Some of them um, you might be quite familiar with, the 361s, um, the Loriums, and then we use a few others, uh, Batalia, a firm based in Cape Town that we, we rate highly, Fetri Capital, uh, Nitrogen, who are just up the road here in Nilova. And I think we see hedge funds in this country almost as an alternative asset class, not just as a as a something to invest with equities, but almost as a standalone. So we, we're quite excited that that process is well underway. And in the next few years, I think those names will become more well-known in, in the industry. Yeah, the retail side of hedge funds investing is actually very small. And, and there yes. are not all that you know many regulations governing that industry. You must be one of the more progressive uh, advisors to actually look at those uh, investments. Um, yeah, I think, you know, in the, in the past, they've, the hedge fund manager himself has always been regulated and their, their business has always been regulated. But the fund, which was a bit of an anomaly, was never regulated. So y you, you had to do your own homework. We outsource um, our DD work and our investment management work to an external third party who specializes in the hedge fund. So it's not, it's not like we're doing um, all the manager research ourselves. But um, I think it's worked well for our clients in the past. And it's not like we only use hedge funds. We use them as, a, as another arrow in our quiver, so to speak. What has, how has that impacted on the, the performance of your uh, investments, especially in this recent volatile period we've seen? The returns have been a lot more stable, I think, if we just use long-only funds. Um, last year, the hedge fund industry in South Africa as a whole had an excellent year. Um, the market was up 
around 5% of memory serves correctly, and the average long, long short hedge fund was up about 15 to 20. Um, this year, the hedge funds, along with most other long only managers, have struggled. But um, you know, it's a it's a relatively long term game. We don't try to judge over six to 12 months. And over the last five to six years, we've been very happy with what the hedge fund managers in this country have done. Is there a uh, a pushback from some of your clients against a hedge fund uh, strategy? Um, there's obviously some reticence. Definitely, there was a bit more reticence when it was an unregulated product. But I think over time, they've they've seen the role that they can play. Um, Again, we don't solely invest in hedge funds, so it's quite easy to see a hedge fund performance versus a long-only fund, for instance. And you can see how they, they've, over time, they've complemented each other quite nicely. Local versus international investments? Um, a lot of our clients have more than 50% of their wealth offshore. It was a very conscious decision that, thankfully, we made a good few years ago, so we were taking money out when the rand was at 7 to 8 to the dollar. So obviously, in hindsight, that you know, when you look in rand terms, that's uh, that's a job well done. But I think, despite South Africa's political problems, you you can't have South African only assets. It's, this is a very small country. Um, the GDP to the rest of the world is tiny. You have to diversify your assets, regardless of what's going on in this country. And the global environments and the global markets are much bigger and a lot more difficult to figure out than South African markets. Where do you invest internationally? Do you do uh, your own research or you, uh, which funds uh, do you prefer? Um, again, offshore, we've, we've, we've used some alternatives. So different names to, I think, the Orbises and the Investex that many people would recognize. Um, we've set up an offshore structure for some of our clients uh, where, where necessary. Uh, but again, we outsource the investment management to an external third party that we've appointed. What do you think currently is the biggest risk to uh, you know investors in South Africa? The political risk is obviously first and foremost. Um, it's a difficult one to deal with, I think. Uh, I think the recession, or the recession that was narrowly avoided technically today, but along along with the recession risk, the downgrade risks, obviously just they weigh on people's minds. So when there's no growth in the economy, it's quite difficult to see where the growth and investments are going to come. And I think around the world, you can see how quantitative easing and negative interest rates are distorting financial markets. People are chasing yields. Um, hot money is flowing into all sorts of things around the world where it probably shouldn't be. Thank you, John. That was John Harmon. He's a financial advisor at the Rosebank Wealth Group.